Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Trick or treat. Oh, what's my costume? This year for Halloween, I'm dressed up as this podcast. Before continuing my first ever journey through the Harry Potter series, just a few quick announcements first. It is official. It's locked in, in the books. Thursday, November 21st, 8 p.m. in Houston, Texas, where I'm Potterless Live. And I'm very excited to announce that the opening act is Horse. I love that podcast so much. The hosts of Horse are absolutely incredible. I'm so stoked to have these two. <laughs> dudes open up for Potterless Life. It's going to be a great time. I will say it is a smaller venue than we have played in the past. So if you are on the fence about getting tickets, you should go and get them now. And the tickets are live at bit.ly slash Potterless H-Town. So go on over bit.ly slash Potterless H-Town and you can get tickets. And a reminder that November 15th through 17th, Potterless will be in Atlanta, Georgia for Conjuration. I'm going to be doing a panel about how to make a fandom-based podcast as well as a Potterless Live featuring Brian from Draco and the Malfoys. If you want more information, go to multitude.production/slash live to see when those panels are, and follow me on social media to see when the Atlanta Potterless meetup will happen. And speaking of meeting people that'll make me happy, there's people out there that are making me happy because those are our new patrons. So shout out to Emily Marie Espenez, Emily Krober, Bo Harper, Marit Brigitte, Rizbol, Stephanie K. Caro M., T.I. Pasa, Leah Collins, Heidi Galligan, Georgie Duncan, Douglas Piper, Zachary Kelsey, and someone that made their name still waiting for that Europe tour. I want to do the Europe tour. I just got to get to a thousand patrons. We're so close. Tell your friends. Shout out to Melody who upgraded her pledge and a huge shout out to Brianna Kusamana who upgraded to the producer level status as well as our new producer-level patrons, Javi Guadalupe Trejo III, Darlene Kerr, Brad Harding, Thomas Cavera, and Charlotte. They join the ranks of Vicky, Aaron, Jesse, Natalie, Clow, Frank, Marchismo, Samantha, Juan, Abid, Rosemary, Maria, Lisa, Rumina, Kamel, Russell, Audra, Eleanor, Rossan, Nikita, Taylor, Ali, Amelia, Sean, Sarah, Ben, Rachel, Zachary, Orchid, Vivian, Takari, Haley, Moster, Angelina, Alex, Brian, Caitlin, Grace, Raul, Ingen, Mari, Alex, John, Noel, Tao, Emily, Robin, Will, Liz, Mariah, Brandon, Sarah, Claire, Rory, Gloria, Sarah, Patrick, Ali, Kat, Veronica, Lada, Noah, Tracy, Colleen, Jennifer, Frieda, Ivor, Naomi, Tyler, Summer, Heather, Vera, Carrie, Andrea, Ella, Anthony, David, Elisa, Lynn, Cameron, Justin, Christine, Jacob, Toothless, Maya, Mark, Polly, Srujan, Nedda, Remy, Sarah, Nona, Zena, Harlan, Noelia, Addie, Brian, Jenny, Nikki, Kara, Courtney, Kine, Amanda, Sabrina, Alicia, Kafir, Lindy, Martha, Benjamin, Skymart, Sarah, Marta, Stephanie, Justine, Aaron, CJ, Eileen, Violet, Kat, Lindsay, Fielding, Keegan, Miranda, Gail, Mr. Folk, Heather, Adam, Christina, Maya, Zachary, Kieran, Heaven, Christy, Lily, Wire Warrior, Floor, Siri, Georgia, Itzel, Al, Topher, Peter, Candy, Skyla, Adele, Professor Threat, Kelsey, Ellie, Lubin, Maleo, Lena, Daniel, Lee, 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 Elizabeth, Abby, Lika, Michael, Earmuffs, Cara, Tiffany, Kelly, Nadia, Andrea, Carrie, Jamie, Camillo, Connie, Janet, Mary, Emo, Anastasia, Jaden, Nedry, Matt, Riley, Will, Zephyr, Artemis, Brett, Samantha, Kayla, Lauren, Aurora, Emma, Hermione, Lior, Megan, Out of Context, Liam, Milena, Marcos, Ella, Hannah, Courtney, Victoria, Marique, Ashton, Brittany, Phelan, Julie, The Meadows Family, Jennifer, Anna, Fake, Brianna, Carutera, Sarah, McKenna, Six Awkward Nine, Tuzi, Anthony, Peters, Heather, Dead Cat Ladies, Kevin, Lauren, Patrick, Chrissy, Alex, Steamed Nuggets, and Kate Potter. 
who never go for a high five when someone goes for a fist bump and then switch to a fist bump as they switch to a high five to match you. If you want to be like one of these amazing patrons and get access to bonus episodes, director's commentary, discounts on the merch store, exclusive merch, live streams, you can head on over to patreon.com slash Potterless. But without further ado, let's get into episode 99 of Potterless, the first of two episodes covering Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban movie guest starring Jackson Bird and Rex Testarossa. And welcome back to another episode of Potterless, the tale of a 27-year-old man who read the Harry Potter series for the very first time and is now watching the movies and talking about them. My name is Mike Schubert. I'm that grown man. And I'm here joined today by two lovely guests, one in person and one across the internet. We'll start with the one in person. It's Jackson Bird, the author of Sorted, growing up, coming out and finding my place and a big Harry Potter nerd. Jackson, how's it going? <laughs> Hi, thanks for having me. Big nerd. That's how I love being introduced. Yeah, that's, <laughs> it's true. That's how we're doing it here. No lies, just straight up. And I am now in that tier of Harry Potter nerds, so it makes sense. And the other guest we have is my old Vine buddy, Rex Testarossa, who is the co-host of a podcast that he runs with another Vine friend of ours, Jonas, called The Universe According to Rex and Jonas. Rex, how's it going? It's going pretty well. I'm going to be honest with you. I grew up with Harry Potter. Mm -hmm. I didn't read all of the books, but I was a big fan of the movies. Mm -hmm. And getting back to it now and realizing, wow, these movies are really weird. (laughs) (laughs) So true. They are pretty wild, especially if you know the books, which we do. So Jackson is our guest representing the guest who knows the books and the series. <laughs> and I know you have a an interesting history with Harry Potter. So do you want to quick give the listeners an understanding of that? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I also grew up with Harry Potter. I think we're probably all about the same age uh, mm-hmm. reading it, you know, since I was like nine years old. Uh, but when I was in college, I started volunteering and ultimately working full time for a charity called the Harry Potter Alliance. Yeah. So they're a nonprofit that uses the power of story and popular culture to mobilize fans, not just Harry Potter fans, but all fans towards social action and being leaders in their communities. So I spent a lot of time just like really diving deep into the books without actually rereading them, to be <laughs> honest. I finally reread them a couple of years ago for the first time <laughs> since I was a kid. So I've been like very deeply involved with the fan community and kind of like the magic of the Harry Potter and of fans, but uh, never been a huge fan of the movies, to yeah. be honest. They're not great. <laughs> and I am really, you, you said they're really weird if you've read the books. I've got, I, I'm always curious how weird they must be if you haven't read the books. So like, Rex, I'm excited to hear some of your opinions here. <laughs> I, I'm going to be real with you about this because I remember buying The Prisoner of Azkaban at my Scholastic Books Fair. Yes. I was like, man, I'm going to read this book. I read the first two. It's going to be great. And then I was like, wait. I don't need to read this. The, the movie's coming out soon. <laughs> I'm just going to watch the movie. And then I watched the movie and I was like, what What the fuck is happening? Why is everybody an animal? <laughs> is this furry propaganda? Is this what this is? <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. There's a lot going on. And this one was the new director. So it wasn't yep. Chris Columbus. Oh. Alfonso Cuaron. Alfonso Cuaron was the director. Who, what else did he do? Because I know he did something that was like very not Harry Potter. Oh, yeah. Pretty much everything else was very. It's in the titles in Spanish. It's like E2 something. Uh-huh. Brutus. <laughs> but yeah, he's I think he he was really known for like kind of coming of age, pretty steamy kind of stuff. If if I'm remembering correctly, I could be totally wrong. Recently, he has won for Roma and Gravity, yes. which yeah. is fun. Oh. But he also did yeah, E2 Mama Tambien in 2001 and then oh, Children of Men in 2006. Yeah. Yeah. Slightly different. <laughs> 
from Harry Potter. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, I mean, pr- you know, prior to Harry Potter, it was basically Itubama Tambien. But yeah, he's done some big stuff since Harry Potter. That's such a wild trajectory arc. Dude, he's got a Taika Waititi kind of Ooh. trajectory. Oh, yeah. It's like, Good comparison. You know, like, oh, what we do in the shadows, hunt for the wildebeest, Thor, Ragnarok. <laughs> like, the Hitler parody movie, yeah. Jojo Rabbit or whatever it's called. Yeah. <laughs> like, what is going on here? That is bonkers. Well, speaking of bonkers, this movie is bonkers. So let's get right into this. The intro, which building upon the theme of the second one, just has the really creepy Warner Brothers logo with the light flashing on and off because Harry somehow has forgotten how to make Lumos work. (laughs) Yeah, and also like (laughs) knowing Alfonso Cuaron's background, you know what he was going for here. Just creepy effect or is it like a metaphor for... I think it's like uh, a metaphor. It's a metaphor. He's in his room. He's He's under the covers. You it's know, a wand. things are changing. So he's doing Lumos and then he keeps doing Lumos Maxima it takes three times. He yells it and it's all just for dramatic effect to dramatically light the title text of Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, which that doesn't even come close to happening in the book. Yeah, I mean, also, they <laughs> like, they throw in so many Maxima to a bunch of different spells throughout the series and the uh-huh. movies. Pretty sure that's never in the books. No, that's never in the books, <laughs> which is very funny. And this has become a theme in the movies is like either changing what spells do. Oh my for God, example, yes. Expelliarmus, which in the books, all it does is make your wand go away. In the movie, sends people flying across rooms. Mm-hmm. And then other ones wait, just like, wait. <laughs> it doesn't make people fly away. It just makes your... It's a yes. disarming it's spell. It's literally yeah. just a disarming spell. So okay. in the books, all it's supposed to do is make your wand fly away. It de-escalates the situation passively. There you go. I was thinking it was just like a spell to put something away into a pocket dimension for a second. I was like, <laughs> that is way different. I mean, we'll get to it when we get into the egregious use of Expelliarmus, but in the first two movies, Expelliarmus always makes people go flying. Mm. But in this movie, they do both, where sometimes it sends mm-hmm. people's wands away from their hands, and then other times it sends people flying, and there's no rhyme or reason as to why it does one versus the other. It's just like, if it's dramatic for the scene, it will make them fall. <laughs> Otherwise, their yeah. wand just goes away. <laughs> I do, I feel like, I mean, this is a point of annoyance for me as well. Like, this spell and so many other spells, it's like every spell just makes someone fly across the room or some yeah. sparks yeah. and stuff happen, which I think is really annoying in the movies, but I guess, like, the one justification I could maybe give it is, like, you know, with spells, you have to, like, learn them the right way. You've got to be really confident. And if you haven't figured them out, they're not going to do the thing they're meant to do. Yeah. So maybe it's just everyone we're seeing in movies actually really sucks at these spells. Really it's, yeah, it's like a JavaScript error report. Instead yeah. of a failure message, it just sends people flying. Yeah. It's like, Lumos, oh, no, I've gone flying. Now. Oh, no. I made everything explode. Great. <laughs> So Harry's doing the whole Lumos Maxima thing, but I do like that Vernon keeps coming in and he goes out and Harry laughs. So we're finally getting Harry messing with Vernon, which I think is a fun thing to do. But then we have Aunt Marge come in for dinner and they change some stuff. But one thing I really do appreciate is that the actress who plays Aunt Marge is Trunchbull from... Matilda. I have never noticed yeah. that. That's amazing. Oh yeah. God, she is. Mm-hmm. And it's well such cast. a perfect fit of just curmudgeonly, stuffy, older lady. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
It's really good. So I didn't realize this at first until I said something on the podcast. I think on the podcast when I was going over the books, I said Aunt Marge really has Trunchbull vibes. And then a couple of people emailed me like, that's really funny you said that because she's played by the same actress. This scene in the books is pretty true to form of how they do it in the movie, except for the end, because in the books, she does balloon up. She goes flying. She kind of just stays in the room, though. In the movie, she flies and leaves. Like She goes out the door and is just a... Uh, Macy's Day Parade balloon down. <laughs> Which, why did they never do that? Would have right. been the best Macy's Day Parade <laughs> oh, balloon. That would have been great, right? Oh, would have been very niche, but very uh, fun. So oh, is gosh. this like officially the first murder that Harry commits? Because there's no way she survives. There's no way. I don't know. Did, did he murder Voldemort? I know Voldemort didn't die, right. but like, you know, kind of murdered this part of him yeah, when he was a baby. He, he maimed Voldemort. This is the first innocent person. I mean, <laughs> yes, she was being very rude, but yeah, they never explain or talk about what happened to Aunt Marge. <clears throat> she just kind of flies away and, and that's it. And Do she's they, gone. When they're in the inn, Cornelius Fudge, he's like talking at like half volume while you're actually laughing at everything Jim does but like you can kind of hear the exposition happening in the background he might say something about finding her I think yeah I think he mentions it a little bit but it it was extreme the way they did it and I didn't support it until something that happens a little bit later Mm. because Harry gets all mad he decides he's gonna leave Vernon says where are you gonna go he's like I don't know anywhere's better than here and while he's angrily storming out with all of his bags on his little roller you see and hear in the distance Aunt Marge being like <laughs> and I was like, all right, never mind. I support this decision. <laughs> like, quick 180 from, oh, this isn't how they did it to, this is a huge improvement. <laughs> this, okay, that, I gotta say, that reaction is how I completely feel about the whole movie, pretty much. Oh, yeah. I have, like, there's some stuff about it that I'm really upset that's not included, but, like, just overall, like, the tone and the humor, it's the only one that's, like, close to the books for me. I think, especially with this one, because there are a lot of differences in the first two, it seems like in this movie, the director was really trying to do something more than just make a film adaptation. Yeah. Yeah. It, I think this one had the most leeway of going away from the books and adding stuff, like how all the students are just wearing school uniforms now mm. instead of robes, which is never talked about in the books, or just adding things that just weren't even there, such as the frog choir, yeah. where they just have <laughs> like an acapella group now and frogs are the bass singers, <laughs> which nothing in the book at all. So I think there were more directorial liberties taken yeah. in this one versus the first two. But yeah, I think for sometimes it improves it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's how I, I ultimately feel. Like, I'm so upset of most of the movies. I don't think they capture the weirdness and the like weird humor and everything mm-hmm. of the books. And I think this is the one that goes the closest. But yeah, it is like a lot of just random things that he'll throw in there to kind of achieve that. Mm-hmm. Like the shrunken head. Oh. What? Oh. Kind of. Mm, kind, yeah, that, kind was, of that was my next note. Uh, <laughs> so yeah. Hey, Brian, resident black male on the podcast. Mm -hmm. Is this racist? Because it feels uncomfortable to watch. Listen, it's (laughs) that. mm, You know what? I am the black person on this podcast, but I am not well versed in the culture of voodoo. Okay. Mm. (laughs) But it's a little weird. Not going to lie to you. And I remember watching it as a kid and like, haha, his head's small. And then watching it now, and I'm like, oh, well, okay, then I'm just going to skip over that and keep on going. I'm not going to pay attention to it. Who cares? You ever just felt like this movie was supposed to be directed by someone else or someone was trying to go for someone else's style of doing things? Because it felt like Tim Burton was trying to make this movie instead in a lot of ways. 
I could see it, except Helena Bottom Carter and Johnny Depp aren't in this one. They're in future installments. But this was like this. This was like Pirates of the Caribbean era, and mm. I feel like maybe that shrunken head was kind of like uh, trying to get into with the real thick accent. Yeah, uh, yeah. Just the weird vibe. Yeah. Interesting choice. I feel like I've been told there was a reason why they added this, and I feel like the director was like trying to do something, but I can't seem to find it. But there's a website that has a listicle called the 10 most cringeworthy moments in the Harry Potter movies. And this is only number three. <laughs> <laughs> now, does that include the Fantastic Beast films in that uh, article? So otherwise, it might need to be like three times for as fun. long. Let's see what numbers one and two are. Because what's worse than potential racism? Number Oh, number two is the... Uh, uh, that is accurate. Number two is the epilogue scene in the last movie where it's 19 years later. And then number, oh, number one is the shoelace tying in the sixth movie between Harry oh and Ginny. Oh my yeah, gosh. Okay. Yeah. All right, article, you win. <laughs> but yeah, the talking head's just weird. It's not in the book at all. And it just, I don't understand why it's there. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of okay with things that aren't in the book when they seem to fit with the style and tone of the universe J.K. Rowling created because, right. like, you know, the books are very much kind of from Harry's perspective, and they're books. You're not going to see every tiny detail. Mm -hmm. So bringing in things here and there, I'm down with. But yeah, that one, I think, you know, I had the same reaction of, like, as a kid, I was like, oh, it's kind of funny. And then I watched it later as an adult, and I was like, I'm slightly uncomfortable now. Yeah, and he keeps saying, watch your head is, like, his go-to catchphrase, which... Okay, we get it. He's ahead. It's like pinball callouts. We, we get, we understand. <laughs> but yeah, so that whole scene is very strange. The CGI, not great. It lasts too long. This is just a common theme with all the Harry Potter things is they decide this scene should be longer than it needs to be. And then you get to the really important scenes in the movie and then they're just so short. I yeah. hate how short the Shrieking Shack scene is because mm. it's such a long chapter in the books and in the movie they're just Multiple go through chapters. it. Yeah. yeah. Ugh, it's wild. Uh, one other thing about the scene that I thought was funny is they definitely used the same cut of Daniel Radcliffe hitting the front glass when it slams on the brakes. There's two different parts where the night bus slams on its brakes and he slams into the window in front of him. And it's 100% the same take twice. It's <laughs> definitely the same exact footage. Wow. <laughs> so then they get to the Leaky Cauldron and we meet up with Tom the Innkeeper, who has had a drastic change in costume and actor and character. So in the books, Rex, he's just supposed to be a barkeep slash innkeeper, just kind of like a normal dude. Mm -hmm. They do describe him as a toothless walnut. So I guess he just doesn't have teeth and in the first movie, and I don't know, I'm not sure if he's in the second, but in the first movie, he's definitely just like your standard bartender type. Yeah. But then in the third movie, this guy thought, what if he was just Igor from Young Frankenstein? <laughs> and that's what we get. Uh, so I have a, a behind the scenes ish story about this. Is it that you met the guy who played him? Because so did I. Yeah, Leaky yeah. Gun Dallas. Uh -huh. We were we were hosting the cosplay contest right. together. Okay, so yeah. we're talking backstage and you know, as I've said, this is my favorite movie of the series. I forgot that his character was in the first one. Uh -huh. So I just went up to him and was like, yeah, man, like I love I loved your character in Prisoner of Azkaban. And he's like, oh, really? Most people are mad about it. Uh -huh. And then I had this moment of like, oh, no, why are they mad? What did I not think about? But it's just what you said of like, right. they totally changed it. Like, why is he like Igor from Frankenstein now? Mm -hmm. I kind of like how he played him a little bit, but I could have maybe done without the hunchback. Like that, yeah. I feel like that was too much yeah, going into bit, it too much. It was a bit excessive. There's not a lot of continuity with how he looks. Holy shit. <laughs> And it's a really goofy looking hunchback. It yeah. is very much he's wearing some sort of thing on his back. It doesn't look natural at all. It's no. very clear. But yeah, I, did, I was able to sit down with 
Jim, the guy who plays mm-hmm. him, and we did a very tiny little interview oh, at nice. LeakyCon Dallas. So perhaps I'll edit it in here, some Ooh. of the spicy bits. Ooh. Ooh. Hello, everyone. I have the pleasure here just for a few minutes to catch up with Jim Tavaray, who you might know as Tom the Innkeeper, who you also might know as the Toothless Walnut in the books. We just got off stage at LeakyCon doing a little thing called LeakyCon Pyramid. You're a lovely host. You're wearing a fantastic uh, like velvety green blazer, which was really nice. But wanted to just very briefly talk because I had said that I would if I got the chance to speak to you. How did it feel to be cast as someone who in the books is described yeah. as a toothless walnut, which isn't the most endearing of so, descriptors? So my uh, agent manager at the time in London said, oh, do you want to do a bit of acting? I said, yeah, yeah, sure. I went to drama school after all, went to RADA way back, but I'd been a stand-up comedian for probably 25 years and yeah. gave up acting, didn't even touch it really. I said, yeah, yeah, I, I can do that. So he said, well, uh, can you go to this audition? And it was literally like a one-liner audition when I walked into the office. It wasn't much to prepare. In fact, they gave me no script. And it was just Dixie Chasse in the room, the casting mm-hmm. person. So I thought, oh, they seem pretty keen and everything. But um, I didn't know what the role was. <laughs> so, I'm, you know, when you ask to be an actor and you've got some profile as a comedian, some success, you think, oh, well, this is going to be a leading man or something. And yeah. that's when I read the exact sentence you just, that I read the <laughs> character description and thought, oh dear, what are we getting into here? Wizened, toothless, walnut. So you, I, I was reading your your bio and your stand-up career is pretty prolific. You were like doing stuff for the royal family and all mm. of that? So, so yeah, I, I used to do lots of stand-up in England and then I was on a show called The Royal Variety Show and that's where all the queen comes. And they booked me subsequently for a few private events and uh, I was known as Prince Charles's favorite comedian for a short time. And I remember meeting him several times. And he, he, I got to know him quite well, actually. And he would invite me to Highgrove, where he lives, and okay. do a performance there. The Queen was there. And I, w- I went to one thing I did for him, and there were 30 crowned heads of Europe wow. having a barbecue at Highgrove House. And they said to me, official said, oh, don't look at the queen. Don't look at when you're performing. Do not look at her. She's seen every comedian. She will not want to see another one. But she was the first one to applaud. And And she was the first one to get into it and got the jokes. And then the rest of them uh, (laughs) all were looking at the majesty and they all started laughing as well. So. That's really fun. You said Prince Charles is for a short period of time. Was that like, did they write you a letter and be like, hello, we're happy to have <laughs> informed you that you are rank one. And then did they have to say like, we're sorry, you've fallen to number two. <laughs> well, it, 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 the, the, you, there's this thing in England that if you have a royal, I think it's got a royal charter where you get to officially be the uh, royal provider of jackets or something. And I mm-hmm. thought maybe I could get my coat of arms on the back of my, uh, which a stand-up, but I used to do an act with a stand-up base. Okay. So I was going to get this whole coat of arms of yeah, Prince yeah. Charles down the back. But it didn't last long, that romance. And it was, uh, but I did meet him on one occasion and he said, Oh, you've got some new material or whatever. And I, he said, Where are you performing next? And I said, uh, Whatever it was, university or something. And I said, I'll put his name down on the door as a guest. And he never turned up. <laughs> That's fun. Never saw him again and moved to America after that. Mm. Well, maybe you'll cross paths yeah. again. Now, one, one final thing is that. 
I am noting that you do have, I'm seeing you right now and you do have teeth. So to be the toothless walnut, did they have to like put some inserts in there to make you look more gummy? Because I know in the UK books, they describe you as a gummy walnut is how they've rephrased it. And then in the US version, they say toothless. So did you have to wear any sort of like... Yeah, there were teeth Props involved. Yeah, there were, uh, what do they call it? Uh, Dentures of sorts that, you know, or those prosthetics. In, those um, inbred teeth, what do they call them? Billy Bob teeth or something. That sounds them. about right. That kind of, yeah. that's basically what it was. And there was <laughs> I'm looking at photo now and it is very different of, than uh, how you look. <laughs> lots of uh, prosthetic uh, fingernails and uh, obviously the hump. Right, the hump not natural. Ridiculous. <laughs> We've got to talk about the hump because it was... You've got the hump, you've you got see, the there ears. there was another Tomney and Keeper. Uh, who passed away? The previous actor who was in the first. Oh, film. okay. Which, so you and you were only in the third film. Yeah. Okay. So he went, and then they got me, and I never know why they got rid of him because I thought he did a great job, and then they suddenly got me being a, what we call it pantomime, basically. You know, mm-hmm. like putting as many socks in the hump I could find, <laughs> and, and it was just ridiculous. It was like, but but the director's favorite film was The Young Frankenstein. I said, well, oh. that's my favorite film. He said, well, just do that. Yeah, you're pretty much Igor. Yeah. <laughs> That's super fun. We call it Igor. Igor. Sorry. I... We invented the language. <laughs> Please. Well, I appreciate you taking the time, Jim, to, to chat really quickly. Um, if people want to find you doing anything else, are you still... Yeah, I'm, so I'm based in LA, LA and I do my stand-up comedy there. And I I was telling you before we started recording, I did a... I just done a one-man show around Europe about my car, the car accident I had that changed my life and my subsequent recovery called From Deadpan to Bedpan. And that's... <laughs> I hope to do some more of those. Maybe I'll do that in the US as well. It's kind of like an inspirational kind of show, but it's yeah. funny as well. It's no, that's good. I mean, I've, I've, I like watching a lot of stand-up and I don't know if you saw, it was a Nanette by the the lady who was either from Australia or New Zealand. And I haven't it was, seen that. I know what you mean. Yeah, again, it was like, a, it was starts off being really funny and then halfway through, it's just like really inspirational. And I'm, I'm oh. crying. I'm like, what is happening? Yeah. But it's really good. Like I, That's the kind of thing, exactly that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I saw a stand-up uh, Netflix special from Patton Oswald, and he has to, he's a comic, a great mm-hmm. comic. And then halfway through, he says, I've now got to tell you about this. And but he tells you about how his wife died, yeah. but he makes comedy out of it. And yeah. it's what I had to do with this new form of it's not just jokes, it's right. a real story. But I think that's what's I think that's what's nice, and I think that's what like it appeals to me in stand-up acts. I like when there's more emotion behind it. And yeah. in a roundabout way, I think that's kind of what my podcast has become with Harry Potter because it started off with me being like very funny, blah, blah, blah. But then as the books go, they're really like deep and emotional. So I like I can't avoid it. So I think there's there's some power to it. So I'll check it out and hopefully people do too. Thank you. Yeah, thanks so much. Pass Mike, did you just say the podcast started with me being very funny, blah, blah, blah? Hey everyone, it's me editing Mike. Look, I know what Pass Mike was trying to say. He was trying to say that the podcast started with him being overly critical and trying to be funny. But then an added element of the show is that he slowly fell in love with the books and you got to go along with that as well. A non-comedic aspect. But that's not what you said, you dingus. Anyway, we all need to take a breather after that one. So let's take a little bit of time for Wingardi Madridosa. Today's episode of Powderless is brought to you by Calm. Let's say hypothetically that Dementors keep giving you thoughts of your parents' death, and it's mildly traumatic. You're also potentially being chased around by a mass murderer, and you know what's really hard when all of this stress is going on? Sleeping. How are you going to get to bed with some good rest? You're going to use Calm. Calm is the number one app for sleep, meditation, and relaxation. They have sleep stories that can help you fall asleep. They've guided meditations that I've used in the past that have helped me go to sleep, and all of the audio that they have in the app has nothing. 
nice soothing raindrops in the background and soothing voices with some narrators that you might recognize like Stephen Fry. Getting good sleep is really important. It's important for your mental health. It's important for your physical health. It's important for your well-being so that you're not clumsy at work or just walking down the stairs or something. It's very important to get good rest and calm can help you get that rest. Sleep quickly, sleep soundly through the night. And if you are interested in doing all of these things and getting that good rest, you're in luck. As a Potterless listener, you can get 25% off a Calm premium subscription if you go to calm.com slash Potterless. That's C-A-L-M.com slash Potterless. You'll get 25% off a Calm premium subscription, which gives you access to countless hours of audio that they have in the app. You get access to all of it right away. Again, calm.com slash Potterless. Get 25% off Calm premium and get better rest even though there's some crazy Dementor-related stuff happening around you today. And now you'll hear words from a few sponsors who make it feasible for me to be a full-time podcaster. Some of these ads will be read by me. Others of them won't. The ones that aren't are inserted locally, so if you live internationally, don't be surprised if you hear an ad in your country's native language. And once those ads are complete, we'll get back to this episode of Potterless. This episode of Potterless is brought to you by Arena Club. Now, if you listen to this podcast, it should be no secret that I am both a sports nerd and more of a traditional nerd. And when you think of these two types of nerddom, there's one thing that links them together, and that is card collecting. Whether you are looking to buy, trade, sell, or display a card collection of sports cards or Pokemon cards, you should check out Arena Club. ArenaClub.com is the place where you can do all of these things. I have recently made a purchase on the marketplace. I got Lieutenant Surge's Raichu, which is my favorite Pokemon, and I didn't even know that there was a Lieutenant Surge version of the Raichu. So that is a card that I now have, and it's not just some digital thing. I can have this card physically mailed to me. So there's a bunch of cool stuff you can do with Arena Club, including their slab packs. If you have ever done any sort of card collecting, you know that ripping packs or repacks can be a zero transparency type of thing where you're just hoping you get some sort of cool card. But what's nice about the slab packs with Arena Club is that you have full transparency. You see what available cards are there, what your percentage of getting them is, what the gradings are, so it is not a complete black box. You're going into this knowing what cards you might get. And I've been using Arena Club, and it's pretty cool. It's very easy for me to look up different cards. I can favorite them, see what I want, and then whenever I want them shipped to me, I can get them shipped to me, and then I'll have the physical versions of them. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash Wow, that is a wild offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack is slash Bucks right there. Wow. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash Potterless for 10% off your first purchase. So if you collect some cards or we're building some packs in a more transparent way, whether you're a sports nerd or Pokemon nerd or all sorts of nerds like me, you can use Arena Club today. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. But basically, summary, he told me that they did tell him to act like Igor from Young Frankenstein. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what the director was going for. And and like Michael Gambon, he has not read the book series. Uh, so <laughs> I know that's opening a can of worms, but yeah. So it's not hard to read a children's book in general, but also if you're getting paid to be in the movie, read the book, take a week 
It's a children's novel. Yeah. Read the book. And I get, you know, both of them were replacing other actors. But in Michael Gammon's place, it's like, you're replacing an actor who died. It's yeah. not like he got fired or something. I uh-huh. feel like honoring him a little bit. Or right. yeah, at least reading the book. I know some actors are like, oh, I don't want to copy someone else's version of it. But in this case, it just seems like you really should have done your homework. It's not that hard. Yeah. It's really not that hard. So we go into the Leaky Cauldron and we get the person that the entire franchise should have been around, which is Coffee Wizard reading Stephen Hawking. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) There's a wizard with a scruffy beard, shaggy hair, casually reading a book by Stephen Hawking and spinning a spoon in his coffee cup or teacup, whatever it is, with his finger not touching the uh-huh. spoon, so just magically doing it. I want to know everything about this character. I'm so glad you brought him up because I feel the exact same way. <laughs> he has always been like my, that's like my favorite moment. He's like the Wizarding World's equivalent of the world's most interesting man. Mm. He's just chilling. Oh, I love yes. that. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, stay wizarding, my friend. Spinning that finger. <laughs> but <laughs> I saw it in pauses, just like, why are we not talking about this? Why is the camera panning past him? How did the Stephen Hawking book get in here do wizards read muggle books what so many questions and then he's just gone i'm also pretty sure like i always liked him because of the stirring the spoon thing and like he's just reading casually there but i'm pretty sure i didn't notice it was a brief history of time until i got like the hd versions (laughs) (laughs) and i was like oh what and then just got better (laughs) i remember when i watched it initially in the theaters i was like dude is he like because you know they have a new defense against a dark teacher every year i thought that they were highlighting him because that's who he was and harry was meeting him but he never shows up again. And I was like, well, that sucks. <laughs> I think he looks a lot more like the Remus Lupin I envisioned in my head, too. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man, I love that. <sighs> okay, yeah. Alternate universe where this dude is the Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher. <laughs> Show me your ways, teacup man. Tell me your ways. <laughs> So one thing that uh, I really wish they had in the movie, and I totally get why they didn't, but like in the books, Harry actually goes to Diagon Alley like several weeks before the end of the summer term. Yes. And he's just like having an amazing time, like eating ice cream sundaes every day and hanging out in Diagon Alley. And it's like the one time in the whole books where Harry's just like enjoying himself for an extended period of time. Mm -hmm. And it's one of my favorite parts. And like, yes, that would be boring to watch on screen. So I get why they didn't do it, but I always kind of miss it. It's just Harry just kicking it. He's got a per diem. He's chilling with Tom. Um, no one's around. Mm. Diagon Alley is empty. Yeah. It's one. So, man, we don't want to show this kid having too much fun. You got to feel <laughs> yeah. sorry for it's him, okay? <laughs> so in the movie, he goes on. Fudge is there, is talking, muttering in the back. But he says that they already got all the books that he needs. And one of the books that he has is the Monster Book of Monsters mm. <laughs> for... Hagrid's class later on for Care of Magical Creatures. Good name. And they really change up this book a lot and make it more of a character. I don't know why, but you first off got the book trying to attack Harry, basically, which I do think happens. But the way in which they do it is interesting because scraps of paper are just flying out of this book. So is it eating its own pages? I'm very confused. (laughs) But then also it does a thing where it looks like a Roomba on the floor, just kind of driving (laughs) around. And then it goes under the bed and then Harry takes off his shoe and then dangles it over and drops the shoe for the book to then try to eat, 
Why did the book want to eat the shoe? And then Harry jumps on it and stomps on it with his feet and it kind of whimpers. Did Harry murder a book? Is that second bad? murder of the book? Yeah. <laughs> like, are we watching a slow, like a young wizard slowly become a murderer? Is that like <laughs> slow descent into madness for Harry Potter? You know, I don't, I don't know the answer to your questions, but I do think that you just gave me the best idea for the next Halloween party I host, which is to dress a Roomba up like the monster book of monsters, <laughs> have it going all around. It'd be fun. Fun, yeah, and then just keep eating shoes because that's apparently your main diet. Yeah, the books eat rubber. And yourself, your own scraps of paper, <laughs> which is your internal organs. A self-cannibalizing, shoe-eating <laughs> book. Yeah. Good concept. Uh, wow. So, yeah, so Harry murders a book. And then <laughs> this director really enjoys doing these bits of humor, which I do appreciate, but they're all confusing so one of them is in the inn at the leaky cauldron there's the maid the lady that's doing mm. the cleaning and she knocks and does housekeeping and then the door opens and then the light just shines really brightly and screams basically because <sighs> of like there is no tenant only Zool. and then she just closed the door uh-huh. and says oh, i'll come back later it's <laughs> this is fun but what are we doing i'm so confused <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think there there are some that really don't quite hit the mark in terms of something that would have been in the universe. Like there are times mm-hmm. when you, you're just sort of like, Alfonso Cuaron maybe like skimmed the books and got an idea of like, ah, they're magic. Let's throw in whatever mm-hmm. without having the larger picture of like, y- you know, because in the books, almost every detail does turn out to be very important later on. Yeah, yeah, and so yeah, I think yeah. as as readers of the books, you're looking for that. And so when something is totally off base in the movie, you're like, wait, what? why? Oh, that was just supposed to be funny. There's no deeper meaning. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't going to come up in the eighth movie. That's actually Voldemort in the it's room. It's a bit, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> so Ron and Hermione show up, and one of the things that Ron starts telling Harry about is the article that's written about mm. the Weasleys in the Daily Prophet, and you get to see the only instance in the films of Charlie Weasley, which makes me very excited. Oh my gosh, it is, isn't it? He's in no other movie, even though he's in the books. Rex, Charlie is Ron's coolest older brother. He's yeah. a professional dragon wrangler. What the He lives fuck? and works in Romania. He is described as being swole. Like, his description <laughs> is that he's jacked and stocky and he was the dude in the back of the photo that appropriately did look pretty built and waved smiling in the background and he shows up in the movies just a little bit hey editing mike here what past mike meant to say is that he shows up in the books just a little bit classic mistake but he seems so cool he gets drunk with hagrid at his brother's wedding and sings songs and does all this fun stuff he helps harry out in the first book and this is the only time you get to see him at all in the film franchise. And it makes me so sad. This is what I don't understand, okay? This guy exists, all right? Now, Shubes, I'm, you know that I'm a big fan of anime, mm-hmm. all right? Mm-hmm. I like watching anime. This guy sounds like a JoJo character from JoJo's mm-hmm. Bizarre Adventure. I have heard little things about JoJo, but from what I know, I agree, even though I've not watched any of it. JoJo is just like about big, strong, muscly men posing at each (laughs) other and screaming while their ghosts fight each other. This guy needs his own spinoff series, but we're getting Fantastic Beasts instead. I want to know what he's doing in Romania with dragons. Right? That's fucking cool. Yeah, Charlie Weasley dragon spinoff. You are so right. How to train your dragon, but better. (laughs) Give it to me. Oh, my goodness. You could have Bill come in sometimes, too. Like, you know, he's in the movie. but He does end up showing up. Him and Jenny, I feel like, weren't done justice. 
to their book counterparts so they can get a, a doing again in Charlie's spinoff. Mm. Yes. So I, I'm on a page. I was looking at notes and here's something fun going back to the night bus. I was trying to figure out stuff about this shrunken head. Here's a fun little article. It says the filmmakers added the shrunken heads that have the ability to talk probably to add humor love the word probably wow so far these creatures have been unique to the third film only in an interview on the dvd release jk rowling said that the addition of the shrunken heads had her full support and she only wished that she'd thought of them herself Hmm. not a good look jk Uh, (laughs) yeah interesting Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then again, she also said she had the full support of the cursed child story. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a couple other things removed from this before we actually get on the train to Hogwarts. They've taken out Harry trying to get Cornelius Fudge to sign his permission slip that Vernon wouldn't sign. Which was so funny. Which is really funny in the book. Just it's so awkward. And then, as you mentioned, Jackson, there's no diagonally at all. Yeah. in the movie where it does exist in the book. You've got the Harry stuff and then when Ron and Hermione there, it's just there's no Diagon Alley at all in the movie, which is sad because Diagon Alley's fun. It's mm-hmm. super fun. I mean, it's they make it like the night before and I feel like this happens with most of the movies is that instead of showing a full summer, it just like picks up the night before it's time to go back to Hogwarts. So everything is like, yeah, everything go, go, is go, go, the go, day go. before Hogwarts yeah. and then Hogwarts, which is not true. They take a lot of scenes that take course over the span of a few days or weeks and the movie just says everything Everything's happening on Hogwarts train ride eve. Yeah, and it's I don't think the, the pacing is as bad in this one as like the fourth movie, which mm. is, you know, you will see soon. No, <laughs> so I already recorded the episode for the fourth oh, movie. Ooh, go. behind the scenes curtain look, but <laughs> scheduling. We had someone who was only in town for a certain amount of time. But yeah, the fourth movie, they just go to class once or twice. Wait, really? They only go to oh class. They gosh. go to two classes. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god and the second class is something that isn't in the books it's when they're teaching them how to dance at the yule ball oh wow so which they, also was not in the books <laughs> they just forget that in the fourth book they go to school also it's not just the triwizard tournament <laughs> fourth movie is just nah Although, they're just like, triwizarding wizarding world would do that well, you don't need to learn this year no but yeah like the pacing is is just so rapid fire in a lot of the films and i feel like yeah the scenes needed to be that short but you didn't need to like temporally actually make it like it's the night before because we don't have time to show a whole month like there are other ways to have demonstrated that and make it seem a little bit more calm and not as rushed as it actually was Mm -hmm. Uh. i understand that it's hard and you're not going to get it right but what always confuses me is that they rush things that are important and drag out things that aren't it seems like you should do the flip (laughs) but here we are So the scene in which Arthur Weasley tells Harry about the serious black thing is so expertly done. Mm -hmm. There's a little differences from book to movie, but I think that it was just really well done and very convincing. And I more and more really enjoy the actor that plays Arthur. I think he does a really solid job. He's great. Just really seems like concerned father for Harry. And Mm -hmm. I really appreciated that. So then they actually get onto the Hogwarts Express and go to school. And one thing that I think is very funny is when they go into the compartment where Lupin's sleeping and the three of them go in, they get onto the train. They walk past what looks like one sidecar compartment thing. And then Hermione goes, come on, everywhere else is full. It seems like you didn't look (laughs) that thoroughly, Hermione. (laughs) I know that eventually this is what happens, but it just felt very silly that they get on the train, they look past one and they go, all right, we just have to take this one. (laughs) (laughs) I've looked down the entire hallway with my magic eyes and I can tell. 
So they go in and then the Dementor attack happens. And I don't know if this is different. Lupin does the Patronus spell without saying anything. Yeah. He doesn't say expecto Patronum, which I get is supposed to not do the spoil thing. But are you able to cast a Patronus without saying it? It felt strange. I'm sure someone powerful enough could. Okay. Well, well I got a question about that. Wasn't he like sleeping with like a jacket over his face or something? Yes. <laughs> yes. But conveniently enough, it was only covering half of his face. And when the Dementor came in, he woke up at just the right time. The cut of it was strange because they do, before he wakes up, cut to his face, which is half covered by a jacket very precariously. And then he smirks and kind of looks to the side <laughs> and then throws it aside and jumps up and then does the silent expecto patronum so was he expecting them to attack because what i always assumed was maybe he whispered it under his breath i think the other thing the way i always interpreted it in the book was that harry was so freaked out by the whole attack since he is basically the narrator in the scene. It's from his perspective. Oh. I always envisioned it as he just didn't hear Lupin say it or yeah. because he was in and out of consciousness he didn't hear it. Whereas in the sense. movie, Lupin just stands up and points his wand and then the white light comes out of it. Stands up unnaturally fast looking suave and debonair. Yeah, oh, it is really fast. It yeah. seemed I thought I had accidentally fast forwarded the movie <laughs> when, yeah. when he did it. Yeah, I mean, I think the movies do a lot of uh, wordless magic that, mm is not in the books like later on in the books we learn that if yeah. you work very hard and you're very powerful then you can do wordless and wandless magic right. but like it's not something that like it's, we see Dumbledore does it and right. like Snape mm. eventually but yeah I'm I'm pretty sure that's not what actually happened there. it feels a little more willy-nilly yeah. in the movies so they get to school and they do the frog choir, which is not in the books at all. Very strange. They even now perform frog choir performances at Universal Studios. Yep. And it's very pentatonics with frogs. <laughs> Listen, I'm going to keep it real with you. The Budweiser's frogs walked so the frog choir could run. I'm just saying. Oh. <laughs> that is absolutely what this was inspired yep, by. 100%. Exactly. <laughs> you guys remember those great commercials from eight years ago? Let's bring them back. But now they're an acapella troupe. <laughs> <laughs> Bud. Why? Oh my god! I'm surprised that they didn't get a cartoon show. Honestly, California Raisins did holy shit. <laughs> no man, I would happen. love Make a California Raisin style Budweiser frog thing. <laughs> just fold it into Harry Potter now. Just like the Frog Choir. We're gonna talk about those guys. Give oh, them a backstory. Man. Oh geez. So shortly after, there's a very interesting scene where the fat lady painting is trying to break a glass by singing, mm -hmm. and that's not in the book. No, right? but like, it's not, but I could see her doing it. Yeah, it's not <laughs> off character. I think the thing, looking back, I feel like what they were trying to do is make you feel more sad when the fat lady painting gets attacked. Mm. So they, That's were, a good they realize, oh, we haven't really given her any sort of characterization in the first two movies. Let's make her quirky and silly yeah. so that we feel kind of sad when she gets slashed up by Sirius. Yeah. No, that's a good point because, you know, in the book you get, I don't remember if, if you have as much leading up to it, but afterwards, like, she's so scared to go back. They have to right. have Sir Cadogan yeah. fill in for uh. a long time. So you do get the emotion there in the book. Yeah, so that's a good point. Mm -hmm. I'm very sad that you don't get Sir Cadogan. Oh, Rex, there's this other painting, Sir Cadogan, that replaces the fat lady when she's too scared to return. Mm -hmm. And he is pretty much a try-hard dude. He's a knight that is trying to basically pick fights with everyone, mm -hmm. and he ah. runs from painting to painting with his jousting spear, and he's just 
lovably annoying chad he's a chad <laughs> yeah he's like a 70 year old eternal chad yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah like don quixote or some shit <laughs> yes oh my god oh i oh that's actually probably what she was going yep, for I, was I don think quixote. wow nice oh, one damn. uh no i don't know if anyone's ever credited as him but there is like a knight in a painting in some movie i don't know if it's prisoner of azkaban or another one that sort of shouts like tuck your shirt in or something to someone uh, at one point and i've <laughs> i have always been like oh him. that was sir duggan that's him right there that's the guy so when we cut to another scene where this again seems like the director trying to put his spin on it where it's just a uh, boys of Gryffindor house being rowdy with each other where their nighttime activity is eating candy that makes them make animal noises except for Harry's which makes steam come out of his ears. Again, not in the book, mm. but they're having fun. And then you cut to seeing the window where they just start wrestling each other, you know, because boys. <laughs> Normal boys. Just boys being boys. And that's the whole point of that scene. <laughs> I mean, I think the, the actual, you know, the wrestling and the candies, it's a little fabricated, but I did like seeing some of that just like. Yeah. Hey, they're they're in a dorm like mm -hmm. it is like a normal school in addition to a magic school. I liked kind of that. Element. Yeah. And even before that, you get Harry and Seamus talking about how bad the fat lady singing was. Oh, yeah. Which yeah. Which is yeah. fun. So they're getting a little bit more of the camaraderie in, which I think is fun. I always felt like that must have been ad libbed, too, because the uh. two of them end up saying the same thing like twice together. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, this was them like not being so good at driving with their ad lib yet. <laughs> Uh, so if you thought that scene didn't matter or make sense, guess what? The transition is a bird flying through the air and then getting swatted to death by the Whomping Willow. Mm -hmm. And then we just go move on. <laughs> I mean, I guess it was we have to remind the audience that the Whomping Willow is dangerous. Right. Yeah. Because it does become a, a major player later on. Yeah. But yeah, that just happens. It's just. <laughs> It's, so Wait, many it's little... like every every transitional like season is the Whomping Willow. It's right? all, that is how we know the passage of time is the Whomping Willow, which <laughs> also is not a willow tree. Does that bug anybody else? It's not a willow tree at all. Yeah, it like never is even in springtime. Is nah, that it's well, it's just a willow tree is just a different tree. I looked it up online and apparently it is based off of a, according to the internet, it is based off of the design of a sweet chestnut tree. Oh, of course. Mm -hmm. I noticed that exactly. <laughs> I just, I know what willow trees <laughs> yeah, look like, yeah, yeah. and it's not a willow, because I've seen Pocahontas, and that is not Grandmother Willow at all. It's not. They wanted a really haggard-looking, badass tree, and they are like, man, willows look too maternal. Mm, too sad. Oh, uh, so you know what? chestnut tree, I guess. I wonder if it would have been more difficult to kind of like, I'm sure it's, it's half like mechanical, half CGI, but right, if you've right. got those really, uh, I don't know, delicate, droopy, yeah, yeah, yeah. it would probably yeah. be harder to work with. That makes sense. I mean, I think it's for the best that they've made something that looks like fists. They picked the tree that True, has yeah. fists, basically. <laughs> so I think it makes sense. But it does just bother me that the whopping willow is not a willow. <laughs> yeah. So we move on to Hagrid's first care of magical creatures class. And he is doing the lesson for the hippogriffs. A little difference in the movie is that there's only one. There's just Buckbeak. Whereas in the books, there's a whole herd of them. Mm. There's multiple. One thing that's funny is that all the students have to bring these giant monster books out and Draco at one point doesn't even know how to open the book. Mm -hmm. And then Hagrid says, just stroke the spine, of course. <laughs> and then you get a great scene of Tom Felton awkwardly <laughs> rubbing the spine of a book, <laughs> which, again, this is something where I was at first upset with the book being a character, basically. And then this scene made it all worth it. <laughs> yeah, it's just fun. 
Then Harry gets basically voluntold to mm-hmm. do Buckbeak. Everyone takes a step back. This doesn't happen. Harry voluntold is just his whole life, actually. It's yeah. a good way to sum it up. <laughs> <laughs> but in the book, Hagrid was struggling with the lesson and the squad are friends with Hagrid, so they're trying to make it go well. So Harry nominates himself to do it to try to help out Hagrid. Oh, yeah. Either that or Hagrid asks him, but it wasn't everyone stepping away and then Harry getting stuck with it. But right before he goes to approach Buckbeak for the whole bowing thing, we get the first instance of Drapple, which is the best ship in the whole Harry Potter universe, which is Draco and green apples. (laughs) So this is the first instance where he has an apple and he takes this big dramatic crunch and like throws it to the side kind of thing. And he does that to look smirkingly on as Harry is about to approach Buckbeak. But then later on in the movies, in Half-Blood Prince, Draco uses a green apple to test it out. And when it comes back and it's bit, meaning that it's working, he looks at it all dramatically. (laughs) So there are some fan fictions shipping Draco and the apple. Wow. And I really, Mm. it is my favorite couple. (laughs) It's got wheels, man. It's got wheels. You gotta let it ride. I think you got a third spinoff there, Rex. Ah. Yeah. (laughs) Draco and apples coming together. <laughs> Another thing that they've added, which I think makes sense, is Hermione grabbing Ron's hand mm-hmm. in an awkward first sign of, oh, I think we might have feelings for each other kind of thing when Harry is riding Buckbeak. Wasn't in the books, but I did appreciate it. The yeah. little hints of them having a budding romance. But the Buckbeak flying scene with Harry flying on the back of him is just really cool. It just looks awesome. Some of the CGI of Hogwarts is a little rough and hasn't aged super well, but him flying on the water with Buckbeak and doing the classic screaming woo with riding with no hands. It was awesome. It just like felt very fun. You finally get to see Harry just be happy before his world (laughs) gets a whole lot more serious. For 45 seconds. (laughs) (laughs) And then he comes back to a standing ovation, which is great. But yeah, so he flies back, and then at that point, Draco decides that he is going to approach Buckbeak and try to show off and one-up Harry. But uh, he doesn't do doesn't do too well because the one thing Hagrid said not to do be rude to him. Draco decides to do it, and then Buckbeak scratches Draco and the elbow and all of that. I don't remember. I thought in the book he pecked at him with his beak, and in the movie he hits him with his arm, which is minor, but... Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it was a little less dramatic in mm-hmm. the books, which makes Draco's reaction that much more dramatic. You're right. In the books, it's not as dramatic, so it's more like Draco is faking it, whereas in the movie... I mean, it was kind of a big slash from Buckbeak, and Buckbeak is huge, (laughs) and it tears open his shirt and stuff, so I feel like Draco's a little more justified, where the whole point which made it so unjust for Buckbeak to come under the eventual death sentence is that he didn't really hurt him that badly, and Draco's just milking it. Yeah, and like Draco hadn't listened to the instructions, and yeah, in the the books, like you said, there's multiple hippogriffs, and so they're doing group work, basically, separately. Draco also didn't do such a big, like, walking over there like, oh, like, I'm so tough. It was a little more like he was just in his group and was you know uh messing around there he sucks yeah but i feel like we also miss a little bit of just how nervous hagrid was and how big of a deal it was for him to be teaching and i think you know you pointed out a a good thing mike about how harry being voluntold there we lost some of that right um you know we didn't see that the three of them were really trying to band together to support hagrid because they Mm -hmm. knew he was going to be nervous and he never even finished school and there's all of these high stakes and stuff uh and i think we we often miss some of those subtleties of character there's uh i've seen a lot of lists of like all of the times that 
Ron's lines were either taken away from him right. or he got someone else's yep. basically to make him just be like stupid yeah, in, in the movies. My biggest frustration with the yeah, films. Yeah, like we see a lot of moments of compassion and intelligence and stuff from Ron in the books that we don't see in the movies. And so this is another kind of fine subtlety of the dynamics of their characters that we kind of miss. Yeah, it's just it's things that. I mean, I get you're not going to be able to get everything across in the movie, but yeah. I think that some of the more interesting character development arcs are taken away. In the fourth movie, Victor Crumb is such an interesting character, and yeah. they just turn him into a meathead. I think Ron is interesting, and they just make him kind of dumb. And Hagrid, you lose how scared he is to be in this position, so it's, it's a bit of a bummer. Also a bit of a bummer, Harry's tie is so poorly tied. It is <laughs> All of so... the ties in this scene. All of them. <laughs> it is so lopsided. The fat part is so short, and the back little end goes all the way down to like his knees. Oh my gosh, <laughs> which I, I guess could hold true because they're 12. Pass Mike, we've been over this. You can't keep doing this. They're 13 in this one. They're 11 in the first, 12 in the second, 13 in the third. You can't keep messing up the age. People are going to be so mad at you. I am so sorry, listeners. I apologize for past Mike's transgressions. Anyway, back to the podcast. But still, it was just very frustrating. You're wizards. You think you could do some sort of spell to tie your tie properly. <laughs> but all the ties are just super rough. Everyone's shirt is too baggy. Ugh, it's frustrating. Hey, you got to remember, though, they are doing spells that are blasting people across rooms. They <laughs> That's the only that spell. You can't tie a tie with yeah. that spell. You'll just blast across the room. That's actually how you put on the ties. You stand across the room and someone blasts it across your neck <laughs> and then it ties your itself. Neck now. You're good. Your dad's got to blast it across. Yeah. No, but I mean, I do, I do sort of like it's it, they look ridiculous. They're so slovenly. But at the same time, like I had uniforms in middle school and the most common thing we got in trouble for was having our shirt untucked. Oh, so 100%. I kind of liked the like, all right, this is clearly an afternoon class. They've been in classes all day. Right. The boys especially do not care mm, sleeves what they cuffed. look like. Yeah. Yeah. It's like all just coming. Relaxing. Bro time. <laughs> just a couple of lads couple of lasses <laughs> the one thing i do remember from not knowing how to tie a tie when i was still in middle school high school was i would tie a tie once with my dad's help and then i would just loosen it enough to get it over my head and then never undo it oh i know <laughs> I, I know grown men who still do that <laughs> <laughs> so uh yeah I can, I can sympathize so later on they go to trelawney's class and emma thompson as trelawney is amazing she is so Incredible. over the top and dramatic and it's fantastic she looks fantastic she sounds fantastic but one character that I had to look up because I didn't know who the black kid who just keeps saying ominous shit the whole movie. There's something <laughs> earlier on where he gets called on and says something scary. And then this time when the grim is revealed in the tea leaves, they are asking about the grim. And then they talk about Sirius Black at one point. And he goes mm. on to say, he goes like, he could be anywhere. It's like trying to get smoke with your bare hands. <laughs> so I went on Harry Potter wiki and I was like, who is this guy? And it's just this character they've created. His name is Bem, B-E-M, and he was created solely for the film, and uh, he's just, he just says ominous stuff, but according to the wiki, he's a wizard of Nigerian descent who attended Hogwarts from 91 to 98, and he was a Gryffindor, and then that's it. There, here he is. All right. The most representation we get in the movie, and it's ominous kid. Yeah, I, th yeah. I, I do think, I'm pretty sure, because one of my... It's sad, but funny is there's a YouTube video where you can see every line said by a person of color in the Harry Potter film oh, yeah, franchise. Oh, yeah, by Dylan Maron. Oh, I didn't realize Dylan Maron made that. Yeah, that ah. was he had like three different big breaks at once, and that was kind of one of them. I didn't know he yeah. made that. So, yeah, for all eight movies, I think it's like a four-minute and change YouTube video, which is <laughs> really sad. That's longer than a lot of the other videos on that channel. Oh, there's a whole channel of it? Oh, yeah. Into the oh. Woods? None. Oh, no. Oh. 
Succession, I think, also would be none. Probably, I don't yeah. think there's a... I, unless you count Marsha. But I'm pretty sure this is the only person of color that says anything. Because at least in the fourth movie, you get the Patil twins. Oh, you mean in Prisoner of Azkaban. In yeah, Prisoner of yeah. Azkaban, oh, specifically, yeah. You yeah. Right, and you yeah. get Lee Jordan in the first two, but Lee Jordan isn't in this one. And you only get this dude who isn't even in the books. And then all he does is explain what the Grim is and is really creepy about it. And then explain who Sirius Black is and is really creepy about it. That's it. Actually, that's not it. Hey, me, editing Mike again. There are two other lines said by people of color. One, Dean Thomas says, that's a bogart. And then Parvati says, ridiculous. And that's it. And you could say that the talking head in the night bus is a person of color with lines because it was voiced by a POC, but we've already talked about how it could be kind of problematic and I don't know how good it is that you've got a talking Jamaican head in the night bus, so let's just really not talk about that one. Yeah, I mean, and you've also got in the earlier films, there is a black actress credited as Lavender Brown, Uh and then later in the movies Mm -hmm. when Lavender Brown has speaking roles, Mm -hmm. she's suddenly white. Interesting. Yeah, there's a whole story to that and people have gotten, I've been angry about this on the podcast before apparently the actress who did play lavender brown didn't want to be an actress anymore so when that movie was coming up the sixth movie she decided not to be in it so then they were recasting for lavender brown and then rather than do the normal thing of say okay we're looking for a young black woman actress to play lavender brown they just opened it up to anybody and then the girl who ends up playing lavender brown is one of emma watson's friends i think Mm. and everyone says oh she did so well in the audition. Great. I don't care. She's been cast. It's just a bad look for her to be black until she becomes an important character and then be like, she's white now. Yeah. Oh, it's a rough look. And it's one of those things too where it's like, if they didn't suck at representation so many other, like so many million times over in other places, right. then it'd be like, okay, yes, that's a like kind of understandable situation. Not completely, but kind of. But mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, it's... Mm. <laughs> It's not great. Not great. It's not a good look at all. But hey, I'm glad Bem made it in to the fray. Good for Bem. Yeah. (laughs) For everyone doing Harry Potter trivia, (laughs) that could be a final question. Creepy kid. Yeah. (laughs) Who's the kid that knows only creepy things and pipes up? (laughs) Yeah, but everyone did have that kid in the class, though, right? (laughs) He's not lying, man. Like, I don't know if you've ever been to, like, We've had like, you know, we met up with people from high school. You hang out when you're in college mm-hmm. or whatever. There's always that one person who comes to the party and they're just like, hey, did you know that all the characters from Rugrats are dead? That's Bim. <laughs> That's who Bim is. Oh, Bim. So later on, we get to the Bogart scene where Lupin is teaching the kids the ridiculous spell, how to overcome Bogarts. And one thing that they add here that I actually really enjoyed is that there's more coaching from Lupin towards Neville of how he is going to make the Bogart look like Snape in his grandma's clothes. In the book, he just kind of explains to use ridiculous and asks Neville what his biggest fear is. And then it turns Snape into Snape in the grandma's clothes. But in the movie, they change it to where Lupin asks Neville, you live with your grandma, correct? And he says, yes. And then he says, okay, imagine Snape wearing her. Or he says, just think about her clothes because they have to think of something funny. Mm-hmm. So I really enjoyed the more coaching aspect of it. I think that was a little more well done. So props to the movie there. But then we get into the montage of kids fighting the Bogarts. And there's a whole lot of interesting things. First, <laughs> the music. It sounds like it's straight up from The Mask starring Jim Carrey. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a big jazz band. Like, you know, I've looked it up. It is actually from a John. Uh, it's a 
like 1941 or something. It's a movie that John Williams did the score for. Ah. And so it's based on some other like actual big band song. But okay. John Williams did a different version. So they used it in oh. this film. Because it's not on any of the soundtracks. And I'm like, that's kind of catchy. I love right. big band music. I've tried to look it up. Oh, uh, it's so funny. I mean, it would make sense because he did all the, mu- the music for it. So he's just like, oh, I did this old thing. Copy, paste, put it in. I've already yeah, exactly. done it. Something else in this montage that makes no sense is that Parvati, she goes up and does her ridiculous to a big snake being her big fear and then turns it into a giant clown with this big toothy smile which is way scarier than so the much snake. scarier so much scarier so much crap. worse than the snake how is it good? and all the kids laugh which is the incorrect reaction yeah there is no group of 13-year-olds who would be laughing at a clown. Is chlorophobia not a thing in Europe? Because I know it's not a thing in Japan, apparently. Oh, really? I didn't know that the name of fear of clowns was chlorophobia. Yeah. Like, I read an article about how Japanese people think it's funny that we're afraid of clowns in America. And they're like, wow, That's we learned a so secret interesting. weakness about America. You're afraid of clowns, <laughs> idiots. <laughs> Surprise that has been weaponized against us more. <laughs> That's because Japanese people are nice. <laughs> I, wonder, I wonder if there's other stuff on the flip. Are people in Belgium really afraid of pineapples? Something like that. <laughs> Something weird. Like, oh, yeah, you don't want to talk about gym socks in Istanbul. Uh, <laughs> terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So then Harry gets up and he... I'm so annoyed by this. Uh, so he gets up and he does his bogart, which turns into a dementor. And in the movie... Lupin immediately jumps in front and then it turns into the moon because Lupin is a werewolf. He's afraid of the moon and then he makes it ridiculous and turn into a balloon. But this is not how it's done in the book at all. It's a lot more drawn out. Mm -hmm. It's more dramatic. And also it just doesn't make any sense here in in the movie is that he's the third kid to go up. So you would think this is maybe 10 minutes into class and then Lupin immediately after it says, okay, that's enough. Everyone go home. Right. <laughs> it's like, we have a, we have an hour left of class, professor. But yeah, was there anything else I missed? Like how they did it differently in the book? Well, I mean, the I guess the big thing to me is, and I know, okay, movies are visual, visual storytelling, you have to see it. But like the whole thing in the book is that Harry doesn't get a chance to go. Yeah. And so Lupin doesn't know what Harry's Bogart is until they have a conversation later because Lupin assumed that his Bogart was going to turn into Voldemort. And so when Harry gets up, which first of all, Harry's like the last one to go because Lupin was purposefully not calling on him. So Lupin's like, oh, it's going to turn into Voldemort. That would be scary for the class. I'm going to stop this so we don't get to see. And I think when I first saw it, I was like, you know, I didn't like how this was handled, but I get why they have to do it. But the thing is, later on in the movie, there are multiple conversations that Harry has with Lupin where... This is actually, it is kind of established and they could have established it more clearly. So I don't know. It just bothers me. Like the whole point of it is that Lupin didn't know and that Harry didn't get a chance to go. And they still say that in the movie where Lupin's like, I can't remember what he says, but he does say something to the effect of like, oh, that's why I didn't let you do it. Yeah. He sends everybody out, talks with Harry about it, gives him a little coaching. He says he thought it was going to be Voldemort, but it doesn't make sense that he would let him go so early on in the class. I get that the movie, you can't make it drawn out, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, I think over the course of the film, you lose a little bit of the Lupin Harry mentorship, Yeah, which I always appreciated Lupin. I think Lupin is better than Sirius. And I think what contributes (laughs) to people liking Sirius more is perhaps in the movies, I think Sirius gets a little more play because you still get the tender godfathery moment towards the end of the movie but i think you lose out on a little bit of how much in the book lupin made harry confident in his wizarding abilities and stuff like that 
Yeah, and, it, you know, again, losing some of the subtleties of the character, like Lupin in the movies is just this kind of, like, taciturn, like, he has these walls up, really, around mm-hmm. Harry, and you don't see, like, in the books, he's kind of goofy. Like, he, the, the whole thing with Snape was a prank that he was playing on this mm-hmm. old schoolmate that he didn't like. I mean, let's start with the biggest thing that Prisoner of Azkaban movie is missing, which is the whole backstory on the Marauders. Yeah. We don't learn it at all. We Not never really. learn the map was them. We get nothing about them, and the Marauders is my favorite favorite thing of the entire book series Mm -hmm. so this is the thing i'm most upset is missing from the movies and i think would add a lot to them i also since we're talking about lupin i do have to bring up Uh this and i don't know if you've looked this up well, I'm sure you might know, Mike, in one of the more popular ships in the Harry Potter fandom is yeah. Wolfstar. Mm-hmm. So Sirius and Lupin being together. And I have been a huge fan of that ship uh-huh, ever uh-huh. since I first saw this movie <laughs> when I was 14. Kind of awakened something in me. And I was like, whoa, okay. <laughs> so I've, all, I've always been been into Wolfstar. And uh, in 2011, maybe, there was like an Apple Store event with a lot of the cast. And David Thewlis, who plays Remus Lupin, revealed that Alfonso Cuaron told him to play Remus as gay. Whoa. And this was not, they didn't have a conversation with J.K. Rowling until much later or maybe ever. Like David Thewlis says, I like, I have this pulled up actually. Oh, good, Because I, I wanted to, because I was, I was thinking yeah. about it. I wanted to fact check myself. I love myself. the research. This details. was, yeah, 2011 in April, Harry Potter, the exhibition was opening in Times Square. So they had an Apple Store event and David Thewlis says... While J.K. Rowling eventually revealed that Albus Dumbledore was gay, director Alfonso Cuaron apparently had a similar notion for the werewolf Remus Lupin in The Prisoner of Azkaban, explains Thulis. Alfonso Cuaron, in the rehearsals, without J.K. Rowling's knowledge, told me that my character was, in fact, gay. So I'd been playing a part like a gay man for quite a long time, until it turned out that I indeed got married to Tonks. I changed my whole performance after that, just saw it as a phase he went through. I hate the second (laughs) half of that, because I'm like, dude, bisexuality exists. Oh, no. Uh, But... Mid to late 2000s, why are you so bad? <laughs> <laughs> but I remember the day that happened because Twitter was just exploding with the incorrect quote of J.K. Rowling said that Remus Lupin was gay. Uh, and so I was like, wait, what? <laughs> uh, and that was not correct. But I find it fascinating. I mean, that's just another kind of liberty that Alfonso Cuaron decided to take, not quite getting the whole bigger picture of the books, which, to be fair, were not completely written at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dang. <laughs> I'm so bummed out by saying it's just a phase. That's such a bummer. Yeah, well, that was just, that was David Thewlis' interpretation of his character. <sighs> I mean, I get it was like the late 2000s, blah, blah, blah. But, uh, that would have been, ah, uh, man. I, I like am. bisexual Lupin. Yeah. That's fun. I literally sell buttons that say Remus Lupin is bisexual. Yes! So I definitely like that reading, but... Uh... <laughs> I'm so glad you've enlightened us with this knowledge. That's great. Other thing that I took note of is that Parvati's Bogart in the movies, The Giant Snake, in the books, it's a mummy, which is way more fun. That's so much. So much yeah. better than Giant Snake. I would have loved to see I would have loved to see yeah. a mummy. That would have been great. Man, it's uh, probably less of a, what do you call it, a, like financial constraints. They should have made it a mummy, though. <laughs> I feel like wrap someone up in some canvas that's easier than a CGI snake, right? Yeah. Maybe there was legal I'm, stuff I'm because the filmmaker. Brendan Fraser mummy movies were going out and they, <laughs> they didn't want to step on the toes. Oh, they didn't want to infringe. Wait, 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 wait. This movie came out what year? 2004? 2005 or 2004? 2004. Okay. Hold on. When did The Mummy come out? No, the second one, The Mummy 2. Because if it came out the same year, you might be right. Let's see. Prisoner of Azkaban release date. Yeah, June 4th, 2004. The Mummy, Mummy 2 Returns. release date. 
2001. May 4th, 2001. Oh, that was my birthday. That was my 11th birthday. Whoa. Instead of a Hogwarts letter, I got the Mummy sequel. May wow. 4th is your birthday? Yeah. Such a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> Destined by the stars. Yeah, the Mummy 3 was August 1st, 2008. So this was right in the middle of them. Damn it. Oh, man. Missed opportunity. Oh, Probably had really? something there for a second. <gasps> what could have been fun is if it was a mummy and then you do Ridiculous and then Brendan Fraser yes. shows up <laughs> and he is what defeats your Bogart mummy. And all the Muggleborns are laughing their asses off, but then <laughs> And the, the witches and wizards are like, what? What? <laughs> oh, man. Shout out to The Mummy. Best roller coaster universal. That is good. Yeah. It's I wrote so it fun. last December. So on that very Harry Potter relevant note, talking about The Mummy for a few minutes, we're going to end this first part of the discussion of Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. We will be back. Same guests. Don't worry with this dynamic duo to discuss the rest of it later on. But Jackson and Rex, thanks so much for coming on. Jackson, if people want to find you and doing stuff what do you want to plug what would you like to promote i know there's a lot of things going on yeah oh you can follow me jack is not a bird on uh, twitter instagram or youtube or if you're interested in my book which has a lot of harry potter in it yeah uh, it is called sorted growing up coming out and find my place you can get it uh where books are sold or at your library whatever yeah <laughs> how about you rex uh you can find me on twitter instagram uh TikTok, if you want to do How that. How dare yes. you? As a former writer, I'm so man. offended, Rex. <laughs> Listen, okay, I got like a lot of followers. <laughs> you do, I know um, you do. Um, but you can follow me at Rex Testarossa, R-E-X-T-E-S-T-A-R-O-S-S-A, and you can also check out the podcast that I do, The Universe According to Rex and Jones. Yeah. It's always a fun time. I was on an episode, we discussed Break into Electric Boogaloo, and it was, it was interesting. Quite the amazing, film. you know it. <laughs> hey, I had a great time. It was very enjoyable. So yeah, thank you both so much for joining on. Listeners, thanks for listening. And as they say in the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, before they ride the mummy in uh, their class trip to Universal Studios, Wizard on! If you ever wanted to ask me a question and it's just burning inside of you and you want me to answer it, if you ever wanted to see me and my natural element of me in my apartment, well, on Patreon, we've got monthly live streams where I do just that. People send in questions, I answer them, we chat back and forth, it's a great time, and I do it from the comfort of my apartment. Ooh, a look behind the curtain. You can get those if you are a $7 or above patron at patreon.com slash Potterless. Potterless is created by Mick Schubert, it is hosted by Mick Schubert, it is edited by Mick Schubert, it is produced by Mick Schubert as well as Vicky Garcia, Aaron Johnson, Jesse Horgan, Natalie Klobuchar, Char, Klaus, Lopu, Frank Chiodo, Marchismo, Samantha Rose, Juan Sanfilio, Abita Med, Rosemary Dodge, Maria Lisa C. Keen, Romina Rivadanera, Camille Doc, Russell Dunk, Aldra, Eleanor Curlin, Rossane Batamana, Nikita Power, Taylor Armstead, Ali Madsen, Amelia Krauss, Sean Montag, Sarah Nink, Ben Silver, Rachel Guthrie, Zachary Polito, Orchid Grower, Vivian the Owl, Takaria Ron, Haley Hastings, Moster, Angelina Withred, Alex Bisholta, Brian Williams, Caitlin Sullivan, Grace Riggles, Raul Pineda, Ingen Oddstutter, Maury Wynn, Alex Consulver, John Kotker, Noel Basilei, Tao, Emily Tyrell, Robin Fernandez, Will Barrington, Liz Bigelow, Mariah Noah, Brandon Pickens, Sarah Enslin, Claire Spencer, Rory Collier, Gloria Gillum, Sarah and Patrick Donovan, Alicat29, Veronica Bartova, Lada Bartova, Noah, Tracy Toya, Colleen, Jennifer Marklu, Frida Jason. Fedson, Ivor Peterson, Naomi Guglielmo, Tyler Latshaw, Summer Athel, Heather Fleischman, Vera Cullitham, Carrie D. Bagason, Andrea Crock, Elisa Grieven, Lynn Walker, Cameron Watkins, Justin Montero, Christine Saunders, Jacob Parrish, Toothless Walnut, Maya Gray, Mark Body, Polly Burge, Surgeon Than Megupta, Netta Atabani, Sarah Shecker, Nona VM, Zina Rosnowski, Harlan Haskins, Noelia, Remy Fontaine, Addie Bryan, Jenny Campione, Nikki Harris, Cara Hamilton, Courtney Hemwood, Kine, Amanda Alfred, Sabrina, Alicia McLaren, Kafir Shaltiel, Lindy Plackey, Martha Madueno, Benjamin Desmond, Sky Mart Six, Sarah Shedder, Marta Morrison, Stephanie Magnuson, Justine Wade, Aaron. 
Aaron Richter, CJ Ochoco, Eileen Gazesh, Violet Sullivan, Kat Yowell, Lindsay Towning, Fielding Lee, Keegan Curran, Miranda Manning, Gail Ann, Mr. Folk, Heather McMillan, Adam Bryan, Christina Welton, Maya, Zachary Davis, Kieran, Heaven, Christy, Leela Leader Williams, Wire Warrior 4976, Floor Sake, Sierra Skiaris for Georgia, Itzel Aime Ayala, Al Vega, Peter Wyckoff, Candy Kane, Skylar Lilly, Adele Ryan, Professor Threat, Kelsey Wisen, Ellie Husk of Choba, Alubin Maleo, Akinwande, Lena Karen, Daniel Fulkerson, Lee Lee Lee, Elizabeth Christofferson, Abby, Lee Cafaccio, Michael David Yordi, Nice Earmuffs Potter, Did Your Mum Make Them For You, Cara Hoyer, Tiffany Cottrell, Kelly Otilio, Nadia Vansgaard, Andrea, Carrie Crumpler, Jamie Kingston, Camilo Garcia, Connie Binkowski, Janet Noel Dettilli, Mary Mati, Imo Sarah, Jennifer Went, Anastasia Blake, Jaden Alman, Nedry OS, Matt Barger, Riley Lane, Will Huser, Zephyr Lawrence, Artemis Peters, Brett Clausen, Samantha Lenz, Kayla M. Simino, Lauren Wainwright, Aurora Fruhoff, Emma Clark, Hermione Snape, Megan Dick, Out of Context 69, Liam McCormick, Malena Brandy, Marco Cepeda, Ella Robertson, Hannah Zeters, Courtney, Victoria McCormick, Marie Rieger, Ashton Gabrielson, Brittany Gutierrez, Phelan, Julie Walton, The Meadows Family, Jennifer from the Block, Anna Penalber, Alvarez, Fake Valentine, Brianna Jordan, Karu Terra, Sarah Saunders, McKenna Tweedy, Six Awkward Nine, Peter Mina, Heather Langeal, Weekend of Dead Cat Ladies, Kevin Stewart, Lori McDonald, Patrick Cribben, Chrissy Tew, Alex Romano, Brianna Cusimano, Javi Guadalupe, Trejo the Third, Darlene Kerr, Brad Harding, Thomas Cavera, Charlotte, Steam Nuggets, and Can't I Potter? Web designed by Kelly Beckman, and the music is by Bettina Campamanis. If you want to find us on social media, you can at Facebook.com slash Potterless, Twitter.com slash Potterless Pod, Instagram.com slash Potterless Podcast, or Reddit.com slash R slash Potterless. For any and all information about the show, you can go to PotterlessPodcast.com. For bonus content, you can go to Patreon.com slash Potterless, and for merchandise, you can go to bit.ly slash Merchon. If you want to see me live in Houston or Atlanta, go to multitude.production slash live. If you want to tell someone about the show, whether it's in person or a review online, that helps a ton. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, as I say in the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, Wizard on! Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.